Good evening. It is good to be together. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you and encourages us that you're here. If you would, take a Bible and be open to 1 Peter, the first chapter. In a few minutes, we'll work through that. It is good to be together on a Sunday evening. The period of worship already has been such an inspiration. We hope well-pleasing to God and definitely a beautiful part of our lives today. And we're thankful to be together. And because we're together with each other, it makes it more encouraging that we can encourage each other. And it's just good that that you're here and we're glad that you're here. When I think about uh, the work of those that I work around on a daily basis, I'm thankful for Philip and the video that he put, that he put together to advertise this, this theme this month. And again, we want to encourage you to push that video out in our communities and let's see who we can get to come and be a part of this work. I'm thankful for John Michael and his work in the community giveaway day. As you can see, there's already a lot of effort being uh, beginning in that and there's a lot of information in the back in the foyer and pick that up on your way out and find out how you can be involved in that. I'm thankful for Tim Martin and the tremendous Bible class curriculum that uh, most of us here enjoyed this morning. And if you're not in a Bible class, this would be the month to begin. Uh, all month we'll be studying the topic of holiness as it relates to relationships that will be a perfect interwoven uh, piece of the work of this series this uh, September. And so we hope that you're a part of a Bible class and we appreciate so much what Tim has done uh, to, to be a part of, of this series and the great writing that he has done in that. Appreciate Elias. Elias has been away on a gospel meeting and then in a few weeks he'll host a local campaign here. And it's a lot of good work that's taking place in the Hispanic ministry and we appreciate him and Christy and all that they do. We appreciate those that are willing to help with disaster relief. As you've already heard, the need for some to go immediately is not as urgent now, but what will take place this week more than likely is that a lot of dehumidifiers will be taken down. And so if you have a dehumidifier that you would like to uh, give to this work, it would be appreciated. And those will be taken down and immediately put into action. Also, this coming Saturday, we are thankful for all of our young people. Uh, they encourage us richly. They show us excitement for life and they help us to see not only the good that they can do today, but the potential that we see as they continue to grow. And we have several that have put hours upon hours in their work in Bible Bowl and they will be competing in Bible Bowl this coming Saturday. And I don't know if kids like to do this, but it sure would feel good to us. How about if you stand up, just let us see you, let us appreciate you. We're going to be praying for you this week. Go ahead on the count of three. One, two, three, stand up. Uh, there's a few, boy, that was not a very good response. There you go. Well, there's a lot more than that, but uh, we're thankful for them. We're thankful for the parents that invest in this. We're thankful that the congregation invests invest in this, and we're thankful uh, for Alan Smith and several other leaders uh, that, that, that play a great part in this. It is so important for us to always in our life keep an, keep an emphasis on the Word of God. It's a good weekend. My wife reminded me that it's a holiday weekend. This would be a great time to preach a short lesson. We'll see if we can do that. I don't know if we can do that. It's such a rich text, but we're going to give it a shot, okay? So listen quickly. When we think about where we've been today, we're thinking about going deeper into relationships. And when we study throughout 1 Peter, we see that there's a lot said about relationships. But before he goes into relationships with others, he first goes into our relationship with God. We've got to get us right if we're ever going to get the relationships that we interact in right also. And so what we do is we begin with us and we realize as we look at the anatomy of a spiritual relationship, we see that, that there is some very deep 
and profound things that must be right. My family, my responsibility, what is it that you can do to help your family this week? I'd like to remind you of the illustration that we used this morning. We talked about Jason, who, who would always lose all short-term memory. And so therefore, his life, his life was just fragmented. It was a piece here, a piece there. And because of his injury, he was never able to bring his life together, interwoven into one greater whole. And yet that is what the world, and I don't, I don't say this out of joy. I don't say this out of wow. Look at them and let's laugh at them. It is heartbreaking, but that is what the world or any of us here tonight that are, that are keeping a foot in the world and trying to have a foot in, in the Lord, and that doesn't work either. What we find out is our life is just as fragmented. We're participating in things that we hope never comes back to this section of our life. And we hope that that never comes back to this section. And we hope that what we said yesterday is forgotten tomorrow. But if you noticed, it never is. And what could be changed in our life and how blessed could we be if really, instead of living for moments... And, and being pushed through life by our own fleshly desire and, and being driven by possessions and being driven by love for people and wanting to please people and being moved for our fleshliness and, and having detached lives. What if instead we live for eternity? We made long-term decisions in everything that we did. What if instead we live for values and virtues? What if instead we live to please God instead of please people? What if instead we strove to be spiritual in our life instead of fleshly? What if instead we lived a life that the whole of our life was encompassed together? There was no fragmented parts just dangling out there that doesn't fit into the greater whole. Friends, we can do that. Not by our own right, but by the gracious gift that God gives us through His righteousness. We can know that kind of holiness. This morning we saw from the first chapter in verse 1 that to do that, we're going to have to have pilgrim's feet. We're going to have to put on the shoes of a pilgrim and we're going to have to recognize the fact that this world is not our home and that we're living for something that's beyond this world, that we're not a citizen of the world. We are separated for our ownership to be with the Lord and that is our mark and that is what we are striving to do. But now let's go a little bit deeper. If you will, drop down with me in verse 6 and 7, and let's look, and here's what we're going to do tonight. As we look deep into the anatomy of a spiritual individual, we're going to see, we've already seen the feet this morning, now we're going to see the mind, first we're going to see the faith, we're going to see the mind, and we're going to see the soul. Let's see the faith. Read with me if you will, First Peter, the first chapter, verse 6, 7, and 8. In this... You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I must have misread that because usually when you say something about, hey, you're going to greatly rejoice in this. And then if it says, and if need be, you expect for something great. Oh, you need this? Wow, what's it going to be? Is it going to be extra money? Is it going to be extra uh, uh, days added on to the end of your life? Is it going to be popularity? What is it that you need? Oh, you're going to greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice because there's a big party, because there's a celebration, because you're being honored. I must have misread that because it said greatly rejoiced, and if need be, and it closes that thought by saying, you have been grieved by various trials. How is it that various trials should be viewed with great joy? 
And how is it that the Holy Word of God could say, occasionally you need, you need various trials. He's leading us to a real test. And that test is mentioned in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith. And some of you are probably reading translations and instead of using the words genuine faith, it will say something like, and the trial of your faith. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. How is it that genuine and trial can be used interactive or interchangeably? How, how is it that they could mean the same thing? Well, let's say that one of you young men decided that you were going to get engaged. Some of you have done that in this last year. And so you take more money than you've ever spent at one place to a jewelry store. And you spend a lot of money on a diamond that someone tells you is a genuine diamond. Do you want to know whether or not it's genuine? Of course you do. How are you going to know that? It has to go through a testing process. It has to go through a trial. And it has to be proven. Now he's going to use an example that really is, of course, being the Word of God, it's even a better example. He's going to say, if you were going to buy a piece of jewelry and somebody told you it was precious gold, how do you know it's precious gold? How do you know that it's the real thing? And so you see what he's going to come back to is, how do you know your faith is real? Listen, we don't know that our faith's real when everything is good. We learn what kind of faith we have. Now think about it. I'm going to cut him open. I'm going to get into the depths of what real relationships are made of. I want a real relationship with God. How do I know if I have a real relationship with God? Is your faith genuine? Now before you quickly say, yeah, my faith's genuine. Have you really gone through some serious trials to prove that your faith is genuine? You went through that trial and you remained faithful. Notice how he says it here in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise, the honor, and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though you now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith and the salvation of your soul. What did he do in verse 7? He talked about that refinement process. He talked about taking ore that you knew had gold in it and, and, and you place it in just the right amount of heat. And it takes the ore, which is the cheap part, and it melts it away and it separates it from the gold that is the precious part. And when it passes through that fire and through that refinement process, it comes out on the other side of that refinement process. And all that is left, all that is valued is the genuine gold. We can greatly rejoice and occasionally to even know who we are we need to go through trials so that we can know we are faithful children of God. That we have what? That we have genuine faith. Now, we don't have time to heavily develop this, literally. I've got to live with my wife tonight. And so what I want you to do is I want you to just think with me quickly about Mark the 8th chapter. And what's interesting about Mark the 8th chapter is that we've got Peter... Keep in mind, that's what we're reading. We're reading in 1 Peter, the first chapter. Now think about it. We have Peter right here 
in Mark the 8th chapter dealing with Jesus. And this is some of the strongest words Jesus ever used against another person. And you know what it was about? Well, the first part in in Mark 8 and 31, he said, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. That sounds like the trying of faith, doesn't it? And so, have you ever thought about Jesus came to this earth and his faith had to be tried too. He had to prove that he had genuine faith. And so, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, raised to be uh, risen again. And he spoke these words openly, then... Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And then he he gives a few more in verse 34. He says down at the end, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then in 36, but what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will he give in exchange for his soul? Can you imagine what Peter learned this day? And can you imagine how later on he looked back at occasions like this and he looked back on the occasion where he denied Jesus three times? And can you imagine when he started recognizing the fact, you know what, I've tried to be faithful, but I've got room to grow. I've gone through some kind of tough times and I've kept finding myself not being genuine. My faith didn't go through the trial. And what I want to do is I want to be an individual that can face the difficult days and go through that trial faithfully. And as far as we know, Peter died as a martyr. He faced a trial that was so great that he would not give in and he literally gave his life. Listen, Peter's problem at this time was he was convinced that if you are a disciple of Jesus, you ought to not have to suffer. Jesus is saying, you're going to have to suffer. And so he rebukes Jesus. And then finally, Jesus says, it comes down to this. Are you willing to take up your cross? Crucify self-will. You're not going to get it your way. There's not always going to be easy days. But are you going to do the right thing when it's a difficult time? And if your idea is success is gaining all the earthly things, the Lord says, what if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? What have you really gained? What's genuine faith? Genuine faith is recognizing the fact that whenever suffering arises, instead of running, we need to remain faithful to God. And you know what I found in life from just observing and trying to help others walk through life? Is I found that usually faith is tested the very most through painful relationships. Let that sink in. Faith is tested the most through painful relationships. What are you going to do the next time someone you love hurts you deeply? Are you going to remain faithful to God? Are you going to use that as your opportunity to rebel against God and think it's my place to not suffer? It's my place to put them in their place. And can you imagine the Lord saying, listen, you need to rejoice right now. You need this right now. I need suffering? Yeah. 
Because it's going to give you the opportunity to grow and to prove that you're genuine. It's going to refine you and it's going to help you see what you and me together are made out of. That's what faith is all about. Us and God together. Genuine faith. Let's drop down to verse 13. We won't spend as much time on this one because we studied this paragraph this morning. But I want you to see that he mentions another member of the body and he mentions the mind. Look in verse 13 of 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 13. Therefore, he uses a very unusual phrase to be linked with the mind. He says, therefore, gird up the lowens of your mind, be sober and rest in the hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, other translations would say children of obedience, which that's the idea that we are offsprings of obedience, which is real interesting because in Ephesians, the second chapter in verse one, two and three, where he talks about individuals that are walking out in the world, he says that they are the sons of disobedience. And so here are individuals that they've been saved by the grace of God, but he says they're the offspring of obedience. Isn't that interesting to think someone comes up to you and says, you live a different life. Yes, I'm a child of God. How did you become a child of God? I was born out of obedience. In other words, every time that, that I learned of God's will, I've just, I've just committed my life to obeying his will. And this is the life that is produced by obeying the will of God. And obeying the will of God, I found grace. And obeying the will of God, I found a new way to live. Well, what is that new way to live? Look at the rest of verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourself, that's shaped by the former lust in your own ignorance. And, and you know, Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2, this is a sister passage of Romans 12, 1 and 2, teaches the very same things, just in other words. One's from Paul, one's from Peter. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And so we go back to that unusual phrase where he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up was literally the idea that, that when there was long flowing clothing, whether it was some kind of longer coat or robe or, or some kind of outer garment, and, and a man was about to go to work or he's about to go into battle, he would literally take and pull it up into his belt so that it would not encumber him and whatever he was doing. Any of you that worked around machinery that had open belts or moving parts, you know that immediately one of the things you never do is, is wear open or loose clothing. You never have a shirt unbuttoned. You never have a jacket that's flapping because it will pull you in to uh, the machinery and, and whatever it is that it's doing will break arms or, or, or chop up fingers just like it would whatever else that it's working with. And so if you've been around machinery, this is so easy to understand where he says, you're about to get ready to do something. Prepare yourself for it. And so, I really don't think it's really a strong enough comparison, but probably a phrase that you're real familiar with today is we use a phrase that in a similar way, it's probably not as strong as this one, but we use a phrase that says, okay, are you ready? Let's roll up our sleeves and go to work. So every time you're ready to go to work, you have to roll up your sleeves. Well, we know that expression of speech. It's the idea of, are you going to get hot? Are you going to be encumbered? Get, get yourself ready. He's literally saying here, I'm going to teach you about a mindset of someone who is a disciple of Jesus. They have rolled up the sleeves of their mind and they've said, I know this is difficult. I know I have to get ready for this. What is it I have to get ready for? 
I want to become a child of obedience. And I recognize that God is holy and He's called me to be holy in all of my conduct. That is a mind that is set upon God and is willing to evaluate everything it does against the holiness of God. Now let me repeat that. It's a mind that is willing to evaluate everything it does against the holiness of God. Do we have a faith that is genuine, that has stamina to it, that says, if I'm suffering, I'm ready to suffer, I do not want to give up. Do we have a mind that says, I want to set my mind on the Lord and I want to be holy like Him, I want to be a son of obedience, and I don't want to be any other way. But then he deals before he ends this chapter with the soul. And I'd like for you to look at verse 22. And and just go ahead and notice, we're going to read about the soul and we're going to read about the Word of God. And you know what's interesting? As far as I know, there are only two things on this earth that are eternal. Isn't that interesting? There's only two things on this earth that is eternal. When you and I leave this earth, we're not going to have a U-Haul that we pull to our grave. We're not going to have a pyramid where, where we bury goods and whatever we bury inside that pyramid, we get to take it to the other side. But you know what? We won't even get to take this body to the other side. But what's inside this body is a soul. It will last forever. And the Word of God will last forever. And when those two come together, it forms a union that gives birth And the sad thing is when they never come together, it is eternal death. And so he uses language about a birthing process. He uses the Word of God. What is this book? To you, what is this book? Just a great book that's been written? Or is this book a seed? When you take a seed, it doesn't appear that there's life in it. But there is. And you place the seed in the right condition, and life springs forth. The Word of God can sit on shelves, and it can ride around in back seats of cars, and it can sit on coffee tables, and it doesn't appear to have any life in it. But what is amazing is when you sit down and you begin to study with someone that, like the parable in Luke the 8th chapter of the soils. Remember the seed was the Word of God, and remember the fourth type of soil was a soil that had a good and an honest heart. And whenever you take that seed and you put it in the right environment, what happens? It is the living Word of God. Things change in that person in a way that nothing else could change them. Notice how he says this. Let's read verse 22. Since you have been purified, or since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. That's what the Word of God is. It's the truth. And notice we're back to obedience. Through the Spirit brought us the truth. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another frequently with a pure heart. Here's birth language. Having been born again... Not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And now notice these temporal things. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. 
Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Our soul needs to be purified. The word of God teaches us how we can have redemption. How Jesus can serve as our propitiation. How we truly can be sanctified by the spirit. The word of God teaches us that. And when the, when the Word of God can be placed as a seed into the life of our soul, we'll never be the same. How much do you treasure the Word? How much do you treasure your soul? If a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, what has he profited? Well, someone says, I don't want my soul to be lost. What do I need? You need to take the living Word of God and in a submissive way plant it or place it into your heart and let it grow you. Now let's think about this for just a moment. Chapter 1. Peter, what is it that you want us to become? And so here we are as beginners, let's say, and we start learning about God. And the more we learn about God, we have to put on traveling shoes because we realize we're not at home, we're pilgrims. But yet as we start to walk, we realize that this walk isn't always easy, that we'll go through trials. And the Lord says, that's okay. That's just proving that your faith is genuine. And so we set our mind upon the holiness of God and we say, I've made a decision. I want to be holy as God is holy in all things. And so what we're striving to do is keep the Word of God planted in our soul so that our soul remains pure. And everything around us one day is going to dissolve. And all that's going to be left is our soul with the Word of God planted in it. And you know what that leaves? That leaves a man or a woman. It leaves a boy or a girl that has a lot of roots, a lot of stability in life. It creates someone that is secure. It creates an individual that what if a husband is able to come in, and I'm not talking about in a, in a bragging type of way, but in just a, a, genuine, a genuine conversation is able to say to his wife, I want you to know something. I'm committed to be holy in everything. You don't have to wonder what kind of man I'm going to be at work and on the weekend. And how I'm going to conduct myself around the kids when you're not here. I want you to know I'm going to be holy in all things. What a difference that relationship will have. What about when a wife can say, honey, I'll be holy in everything. Your children will have a holy mother. The reputation of this family, if I have any influence upon it, will be holiness. I love God. My heart will be purified by the Word of God. I keep my eyes upon Him. And if we go through difficult times, I will not give up my faith. I'll be holy. What if we have teenagers that can look at their parents and say, Hey, I understand parents have bad days too, but you know what? I'm going to strive to be holy in everything. What about if we have parents that they literally live the holiness of God. They don't have to try to describe it to children. The children just see a demonstration of it in everything that they are. Brethren, there's nothing more powerful 
than dissecting the spiritual relationship that we are to have with God. And when we get that right, I'm not saying everything in life becomes easy. But I'm telling you, we have the tools in place to deal with anything that life brings us. Let's dig deeper. And let's not give up until we can properly diagnose everything that God would have us to be. I look forward to the rest of the study this month. Several of the Sunday nights, we're going to do real practical lessons. Several of the Sunday mornings, we'll continue on lessons like this that go deeper into the principles of what we need to be. Will you be praying about it? Will you be praying about our study together? Will you be praying about our Bible classes? Will you be praying about your family and our families and the family of God here at Mount Juliet? If we can help you in any way, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, if we can strengthen you in any way through encouragement, if you're ready to have prayers to restore your life, if we can help you, come as we stand and as we sing.